Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be taking a look at Matthew 22 and Jesus's definition of the word election as used practically within the context of Matthew 22. This is a word that's being translated from a foreign language into English onto which that we are ascribing meaning. So it's very important to try to understand how that foreign language, the author was using that word, and Matthew 22 gives a practical demonstration. But before we do that, we just need to cover real quickly how language works. And I have pulled up this book, and it's called How to Read a Book, and it's for free online. That's where I found it online. There's a link to it on my blog page, uh, quoting excerpts from it. But let's read this paragraph. I repeat that an author uses most words as men ordinarily do in conversation with a range of meanings and trusting to context to indicate the shifts. This is a very important point. So when you come across one word, it might have different meanings depending on the context. Most words have, have a range of meanings. There, there's different ways, like for example, Paul uses the word dead. And, uh, you know, he could be using it in one sense, like physically dead. Someone's actually dead, dead, you know. They're dead, they're buried, they're gone. In one sense, he might use it in, in a separation from God sense, in another sense. It just depends on context. Words, this is how the ranges of meaning works. That You know the meaning of a word from the context. And paradoxically, you know that the context, the meaning of the overall context from the usage of words. So everything works together contextually. You can't just turn to a work of literature and pull out a word like, oh, elect or oh, gospel. And then that means the same thing every single time it's used. Yes, authors do pick sometimes key words in which they're trying to use and define. And we have to pay attention to what those key words are and if they're using it with the same meaning in every time it's used. And <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't prove anything when people turn to one passage to find a meaning of a word and then turn to another and then claiming that's the same use. It gives us a possibility. It doesn't give us anything definitive. But but going on with this quote, knowing this fact should be of some help to you in detecting the more important words. There's one qualification here. We must not forget that at different times and places, the same words are not equally familiar items in daily usage. Uh, Joel Hoffman, he's a biblical scholar, and he points this out that even in in English, you know, the, the King James uses the word let. And what let means in, in the context of the King James language is to stop. Like if you're in you're playing tennis and you let a ball, you stop the ball. And, it, and there's a ball turnover. I don't know tennis, so I might be getting all these things wrong. Uh, but that's what it meant in that context. But in let in the modern context means to allow something to happen, which is just the words have changes of meaning over time. He also covers the word covet, in which he argues that's an action. That's not just a state of mind. When you covet, you're defrauding to take uh, ownership of. It's more of like a theft going on is what his argument of the Hebrew word covet is. Not to be confused with the English word that we translate this ancient Hebrew word as. And that, that's, that's what I'm going for here. This is what this paragraph is communicating to us, that we're dealing with a foreign language. We're dealing with people far removed from us. So it's very important not to confuse the English terms that we translate their words and the connotations that we ascribe to those English terms 
and then forced them back onto that ancient language. A contemporary like Eddington or me will employ most words as they are ordinarily used today. And you will know what these are because you are alive today. But in reading the great books of the past, it may be more difficult to detect the words the author is using, as most men did at the time and the place he was writing. The translation of books from foreign languages complicates the matter further. Jesus, he's speaking maybe in Aramaic, and he's being translated into Greek, which is then translated into English. We need to be very, very, very careful not to confuse the English translations with the actual meanings. We need to look at context to determine meaning. So we're going to look at the word elect as used by Jesus in Matthew 22 and see what he means by the word elect. We got a practical definition. Matthew 22 starts with the parable, and it's the parable of the wedding feast as uh, described in most translations. I got the New King James pulled up. I like the New King James for the New Testament. So Matthew 22, 2, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So in this parable, you know, typically these parables like the, the vineyard owner, the king, that will be a stand in for God. This is God doing this. And, and all the actors represent different types of men. And so it looks like from this parable so far that God is sending out a calling. God is calling people who are not willing to come. They're rejecting his calling. God is being thwarted by men, as we see throughout the story of the Bible. Again, he sent out his servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. So this calling is over and over, but they keep rejecting that calling. God's calling, uh, if you're a Calvinist, is, is ineffectual. He has ineffectual calling per this parable. But when the king heard about it, hmm, that sounds pretty open theistic, when, when God God throughout the Bible is described as receiving information. He looks down and he sees that man has become wicked. The prayers rise to God. He hears the prayers. He sees the oppression in Egypt. God acquires information. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. So he becomes angry. It's an emotional reaction. He wants justice enacted. And he kills those people after he finds out about their actions. Huh, interesting. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So these people aren't worthy. Why aren't they worthy? Because they refuse to come. It's right there in the parable. The people are not worthy because they refuse to come. If they would have came, they would have been worthy, right? Conditionally, conditionally, as we find out later in this parable. We see here in Matthew 22, 9, that God has to invite new guests. Guests that were not originally intended. His original intended guests refused, so he had to replace them with new guests. And we see this time and time again where God is thwarted and then he has to make do with the current situation. This is the entire parable of the potter and the clay. The clay is marred in his hand, and he has to make something different. You know, he, God has to react to changing circumstances, unintended 
unintended, he is thwarted, and he has to deal with the cards that he has been dealt. And he deals with it just fine. He opens up the invitation to new individuals. He invites new people who weren't originally invited or weren't originally attended to this wedding. After learning and reacting to the original situation at hand. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is a parable of God turning away from the religious leaders of Israel and moving to all of Israel. And so Jesus's his ministry was to the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He's trying to collect everyone he can for the kingdom, regardless of their status. This is very much anti-elitism, this parable. It's it's a very, very uh, smart, smart, like uh, shocking or sharp critique of the religious leaders of the time. These religious leaders are not worthy. They have rejected God, and God is turning to the outcast, the downtrodden, even the wicked. He's turning to and trying to reform them and bring them into the kingdom because God is rejected by these religious leaders. But when the king came to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at this. So a few things of note. God is asking for a reason. Maybe there is a good reason why this man isn't dressed for a wedding. Maybe maybe he has a plausible excuse, but he doesn't. He sits there speechless and he just did it through sheer neglect or sheer uh, insolence. He just didn't care. So he showed up in whatever. He was not prepared for this wedding. And so he is harshly punished for this because he didn't choose to come prepared for the wedding. He was called to the wedding, but uh, once he arrived, he was not fit. He So he is rejected. He is weeded out of the wedding guests because he's just, he's not a good fit. This guy chose not to act in a manner fitting for a wedding. He's rejected because of his own neglect. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is metaphorically uh, a depiction of hell. This man is being cast to hell because he was called. He tried to arrive at the kingdom, but he didn't do what was necessary for entrance into the kingdom. This is an individual who probably claims to follow God, but he shows up and God says, I never knew you because they are a wicked individual. The parable ends with this. For many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, look at that. So there's a lot of people that are called. There's there's a general calling, but people reject the calling. And even looking at the parable, there's certain particular callings which are completely ineffective, so much so that new callings have to be made on top of those. And, you know, we do need to be careful not to overread into parables, but we do have to try to look at the points of similarity, what's being described. And it looks like this parable is described quite in detail in order to hit a few key points of Jesus's ministry. The original calling to the religious leadership, their rejection, God's turning to of different people. We see God turning to different people throughout the Bible after he's rejected by his primary audiences. This is the story of the Bible. 
is God's ineffectual calling. Many are called, but few are chosen. What does this word chosen mean in context of this parable? Who are the chosen? The chosen are the people who both respond to God's calling and they come and prepare. It's all about their response, how they respond. If they don't respond in the right manner, they are thrown out. And if you even look at uh, Jackie Moore, he has a book called The Leading Elect from the Bible. And what he does is he goes systematically through the Bible looking at every time it uses the word elect. And his conclusion, and I agree with them, his conclusion is, is the word chosen or elect it's, it's not this Calvinist idea, this eternal election where God chooses people not of anything the people do, but because of God's secret pleasure. And that's just not the sense that this word is being used in, in this ancient context. Instead, what this elect is, it means like choice, like you pick the choice grapes for, for your wine. Uh, that if The use in the ancient wor world, when you look this up, the guy picks the choice rocks to build his bridge. That means he picks the best rocks. You use the chosen soldiers, the elect soldiers to attack first. That means you pick the choice ones. You, you pick your best soldiers to be the frontal assault. This is how this word is used in the ancient world. It's not used for random, arbitrary picking based on nothing at all. Uh, that's, that's not what's going on here. As Jesus is describing here, that the elect are the people who select themselves, get themselves ready. They are fit and worthy of the calling. They respond to it. These people are not the sinners. This is what this parable is about. They're, they're not the wicked people. They're not the religious leaders. They're the ones who respond and respond in good faith. That's the, that's the use of the word elect as used in Matthew 22. We could look at other places in the Bible where elect is used. This is what it means, typically. Typically, this is what it's, I mean, you can't say that it always means this, but this is the most clear use that we have and practical definition for understanding this ancient word. And so it would be a mistake to take modern conceptions, especially Calvinist conceptions, who are, who are well famous for hijacking language just to force their, their conceptions into the Bible. Uh, it would be a mistake to take their definitions and roll with their definitions as if as if they know what they're talking about, as if their definitions are biblical, as if their ideas and theology are evident in the Bible. It's just not. You just you just read how this parable works. Not only do you have nescience or non-omniscience or where God is reacting to new events and having to change his plans based on actions of people, but God's being thwarted throughout. This is the story of the Bible. Israel means struggles with God. That is the plot of the Bible man's struggling against God. And election is just another facet in this unending struggle where man has to respond and respond in good faith. The, the, those who are unworthy are weeded out and what is left is the elect. This is practically how it works. Practically. This is how it plays out. All right, so just a quick mini-sode. If you like, leave a like, leave a comment. Uh, start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. Thank you for listening.